Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Tightline Outdoors, because Mr. Nate Zielinski is up chasing sturgeon on the Snake River, is Matt Ensley. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Terry. How you been? I'm doing well. I talked to your cohort here last night. It sounds like they're catching some big sturgeon up there. You wouldn't believe the photos. They're, they're, they're as big as the boat they're fishing out of. <laughs> no, I... Karen and I have actually fished up there, and I've done a television show. Uh, I've actually done three television shows on the snake, and Karen caught one that was over 8 feet, 250 pounds. Just unbelievable. That's exactly what they're catching. Yeah. Now, but there's fish that may be not quite that big, but they're still fun, and they're the most popular game fish in North America, and that's the bass. And you're going to tell us what's going on with that. What are you seeing out there? It's July, it's midsummer, and the bass fishing is great. I mean, just about everything works. Uh, top water, spinner baits, crank baits, plastics rigged different ways, jigs, uh, all work right now. The grass is up, the bass are hanging around the grass's structure. They're shallow typically this time of year, so all of those presentations will work, and it's been a great summer so far. Now, when you approach the bass this time of the year, is your approach different whether you're fishing a small pond or a larger lake or something mid-sized? Do you change by the type of body of water or by the size? How do you make some determinations? I love the smaller bodies of water this time of year for the buzzbait and topwater. I mean, there's nothing more fun than to actually see the uh, fish take the bait. And buzzbaits are my number one, uh, along with poppers. And, uh, you know, walk the dog t- kind of baits, the visual uh, seeing the fish take the bait, it- it's exciting. And so the smaller bodies of water allow you to work that shallow zone from the bank. You don't need to be in a boat. You can be or in a belly boat, but you can walk the bank and throw those topwater baits without fouling up and just tear them up. I love uh, I love a popper. Um I know the bass will chase the buzz baits and they'll chase the spinner baits and even the walk the dog baits. And a lot of times, if you want to cover water, those are better options. But if you kind of have a, a sense or an instinct almost about where they might be located, you can fish a popper and you don't have to move it a lot. So if you don't need to cover water, I like a popper. But if you need to cover water, then the buzz bait and the walker baits kind of come in more. But when do you decide you need to go to a plastic? Uh, once the grass starts to mat up on the surface, the bass will bury in that grass. They actually get underneath the grass. There'll be a zone at the bottom where the grass is going, which uh, growing up, and they're just stalks of grass at the bottom. So the bass sit inside of that. So when you have heavy grass areas, I like to punch the grass with a jig or a Texas rig plastic. You upsize the weight so it falls through the grass goes to the bottom and you you basically just raise it and lower it a few times and keep working different areas of the grass and all of a sudden the rod tip will just load up and a bass will be on you know it's a technique that a couple things people struggle with first they're they don't rig it very often so they're not sure what they're doing and then they're they're hesitant 
to throw anything. You and I both know you have to throw it in some of the heaviest cover and some of the worst places that you would ever think of throwing a fishing lure. Um, some of the prerequisites are probably you need a little heavier line, a little stouter rod, right? Yes. When you're punching grass, typically a bait caster will give you a little more power and allow you to upsize the line a little bit. Line is not a, a problem from a visibility standpoint for the bass because, again, you're in the middle of grass. They're just sitting there, and they don't see it, the line size at all. They just see a bait drop on their nose, and they got to take it. Yeah, and they do take it fairly quickly, um, but it, and when you, I know you guide people. When you guide them for bass fishing, how, how difficult is it to get them to really put that lure where it needs to go? Well, the key is look for pockets in the grass. You'll see holes sometimes. Uh, if not, you can punch right through it with the heavier weight. I like to throw a 3-8 or 5-8 ounce jig, which will punch right through the grass and, and sink. But look for holes. Look for openings in the grass, which makes it a little easier, and then drop it in that hole. Now, this same type, we've got those holes and things. Do you ever use, like, a frog on top? Yes. Topwater, great question on the frog, is a great time to throw the frog across the grass. And as you're pulling it across the grass and pausing it just like you would a topwater, it comes through the grass very easily without fouling. And then you stop it, and they'll clobber it right on the surface. That is so exciting, isn't it? Absolutely. I love frog fishing. Is there a couple bodies of water up and down the front range? I know every pond on the front range has bass in it, and I go fish some of these ponds, and people want to know which ponds, and I usually tell them. Like, I was out at Dixon Lake earlier um, this week, which is not far from my house between myself and Horse Tooth. And I took, I took two rods and walked down the hill. I had one I had a unweighted four-inch worm, and one I had a popper. And I caught bass on both of them. And those are the only lures I took with. I was only going to be down there for a while. But almost all these small ponds. But are there any maybe a little bit larger bodies of water that you send people to if they really want to start bass fishing? Absolutely. Uh, St. Vrain Park, which is north of Denver, right off I-25, is a great location to target smallmouth. There's quite a few ponds there, and most of them have largemouth in in those bodies of water, so you can uh, get quick access and a lot of different lakes to try while you're there without having to travel very far. Uh, Others that are great this time of year are Horsetooth. You mentioned that one for smallmouth. Uh, zero spooks, those poppers, throwing it right on the point, right up on the edge of the rocks, uh, as shallow as you can get it, and work it back out. There are some nice smallmouth in Horsetooth. Uh, Chatfield Reservoir is full of smallmouth, um, and again, the same presentations. The little downsize a little bit on the popper. They love a popper at Chatfield. Uh, try that, throwing it on the rocks. They have quite a few rocks at Chatfield. And, of course, the one location that still holds the state record for smallmouth is Aurora Reservoir. Uh, You won't catch numbers, but when you get a bite, they are all four- and five- and six-pound smallmouth. They're monsters in there. I would target uh, the concrete structures they've put in there over the past uh, few years, uh, find out where those are located. Some of them are on points. A lot of them are in the backs of coves or on the edges of the coves and throw your topwater baits as well as Texas rigged and jigs around those concrete structures, and you'll catch some monster smallmouth. Um, 
so that would be my my choice this time of year. And don't forget Pueblo South here, a couple hour drive. I mean, it is full of smallmouth, largemouth, and spotted bass, which I love to catch out here. Uh, those things fight harder than a smallmouth. Now, when you go down to Pueblo, you have, <clears throat> excuse me, depending on the water level, you can have brush, you can have weeds, but because of a dropping water level, a lot of times you don't have that kind of cover to fish. So do you approach a Pueblo reservoir or a horse tooth reservoir maybe different than you would another one because you're not throwing into the cover? So do you use a little different lure uh, selection? Do you fish it a little differently? Typically the fish are, are a little deeper in Pueblo because you have a much deeper body of water. So uh, I like tube baits down there, uh, crawfish colored tube baits, uh, greens or browns. Uh, where you can get down to the bottom for the smallmouth. Uh, a great bait in the spring, but it also works in the summertime down there as a 4-inch Cinco, downsize from a standard size to a 4-inch Cinco, and throw it up on the rock points and let it gradually sink down, and all of a sudden your line will start swimming away from you left or right, and you've got one on, and the spots love that Cinco also. Do you wacky rig that Senko, or do you rig a Texas rig from the nose? You can do both. Uh, the wacky rig, rig, because of the rocks, will tend to hang up more. So uh, I, I find that the Texas rig comes right through those rocks. It just kind of lays on top and doesn't snag it uh, in any way. So Texas rig would be my number one choice. I, I actually fish Senkos more on a Texas rig than a wacky rig, and that's just me, my personal preference. I'll have guys in a boat that'll wacky rig them and they'll all fish me, but I just like the presentation. I can fish it almost like a darting minnow or I can let it sink and just wobble. So I like that presentation. You know, another thing, get back to the ponds. I'll take just a, an, a, a maybe a Senko, but a lot of times just an unweighted four inch finesse plastic worm and bury the hook, good Texas rig. I'll throw it right over the top of the weeds and I'll just skip it over the weeds as I'm coming. And then when I come to one of those holes you talk about, I'll just let it slowly undulate down. And I've picked up a lot of bass doing that. I've even had them explode up and try to get that right through the weeds. It's one of the most natural presentations in the way it looks in the water to the fish uh, that you can throw is a weightless plastic like that. And it's, it's amazingly effective. Yeah. So are you guys guiding for these bass trips, Matt? Sure. We guide at Chatfield, Aurora, and uh, we, we don't have permits for St. Vrain and Horsetooth, but there's still great bodies of water. Ebb, Pueblo. All right. So now if you're headed out tomorrow, you go into a pond, you go into one of those lakes, which one are you going to? Uh, boy, that's a tough question. Probably Chatfield right now, just simply because there's a ton of fish on the rocks and feeding on the surface, and I love the top top water fish, so I'd probably pick Chatfield. And Chatfield, if people haven't been out, it's a little bit of a different lake right now, isn't it? It's coming up, yes, sir. The water level's coming up quickly, and uh, they're filling it. All right. So if people want to book a guide trip with you guys, how do they find you? Uh, just uh, you can call Tightline Outdoors at seven two zero seven seven five seven 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 zero. And just punch Matt Inslee for the direct call to me. Or you can go to tightlineoutdoors.com or on Facebook. Thank you, my yes, friend. Uh, you're, you're preaching to my heart. Uh, this has always been my favorite type of fishing, pulling those bass out of cover. I love it. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Terry.
You bet. Matt Ensley. By the way, if you follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, I go out almost weekly to a bunch of the ponds and lakes around, and I will target some of these bass in the ponds. I'll give you some ideas how they're acting, if the weather's affected them, what the weeds are doing. So I'll try to update you on that. Also, um, there's uh, some videos and pictures of me working number of these soft plastics and, and other parts of the country, even for bass. And we have uh, a really good one. If you want to learn to fish a plastic worm where I was fishing uh, at Cedar Bluffs Reservoir in Kansas using a plastic worm, it's a seven inch Berkeley uh, blue fleck worm. I'll tell you what, if I could only have one, one bait for bass across the country, it would be that seven inch blue fleck worm. We've caught some monster bass out at, uh, Cedar Bluffs with that. So we have a lot of that on our, our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You should follow us anyway. It keeps you in tune with what's going on in this show. We put a lot of the podcasts up there so you can review them. We put links to our videos there. We tell you about upcoming guests. We talk about our uh, trivia questions. We give answers. So if you want to stay in tune, and we post the Parks and Wildlife Fishing Report as soon as it comes out. It's up on our Facebook page. You don't have to go looking for it. So we take care of that. So follow us on Facebook, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to switch things up. We're going to talk getting ready for hunting, and there's going to be some challenges here. We're going to address them on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Speaking of Jack's, let's go right to the phone. And joining us from the Jack's in Fort Collins is Holden Shipman. Good morning, Holden. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing well, and I want to talk to you about a few things. I eventually want to get to archery and spend some time there because you guys have a great pro shop. You've got your well stocked. But before we even get to the archery, hunting seasons, I know it's just the middle of July, but we've got uh, we've got archery season starting, but then we've got dove season isn't that far away and upland game and then the teal season and waterfall and muzzle loader. And last year, a lot of new people got into hunting and they found out there were some challenges in the supply chain. And I've been talking to some of the manufacturers and they really haven't overcome a lot of those challenges. So if I'm looking, let's start out with a firearms hunter. If I'm looking for firearms and ammunition, uh, am I going to be facing some challenges, and should I be out there early looking? Absolutely. So, yeah, that is a common challenge we're seeing nowadays, is especially on the ammunition side of things. It's been hard to get things in. Um, and one of the big things we're seeing is birdshot um, for skeet loads, for practice loads. We haven't been seeing those come in very much at all. We do expect to see that getting better as we get closer to season, but calling all the stores around you that you know carry them. Um, usually the best days to call are, you know, Monday through Friday, first thing in the morning, uh, especially here at Jack's. Just give us a call, see if we have any in stock, and we'll be more than happy to let you know if we do or don't. Um, so that has been a very common challenge. We're doing a little bit better on rifle and muzzleloader loads, um, and pistol loads are doing pretty good. But other than that, ammunition has been a real struggle all across the board. Well, and one of the things I talk about when I'm talking getting ready for hunting is practicing. And, you know, I, don't, I tell people don't get ready for hunting, stay ready, which means you need to shoot your firearm and you need to be comfortable with the manual of arms, the safety on it, the sight picture, how it fits you, all those things. 
And I think it's very important, and we'll talk about this in archery too, it's also very important to practice with what you hunt with. So right now, and that goes for shotgunning too, right now I would be, if I can find the ammunition I want to hunt with, I'd buy enough to practice with too, wouldn't you? Absolutely, yes. I'd buy a full case if I had the opportunity to. All right, let's move on to archery. Now archery, I'm hearing struggles throughout up and down the front range, we've had people come on and say they can't get the right broadheads. They're having trouble even getting bows, but arrows especially have been really difficult. Um, you guys have archery shops. In fact, three of your stores, I believe, have archery pro shops. Is that right? Yes, sir. Three of our stores do. Two of them are located in Colorado. We have a full-service shop in Lafayette, and here in Fort Collins, we have a full-service shop where we can do Everything from just a simple tune-up to changing your string if it's a little frayed to fully setting up a brand-new bow to get you out there for your first season. Now, before we get into maybe some of the tune-ups, picking out a bow, picking out an arrow, how are you guys doing on arrows, broadheads, and practice arrows? We're doing great. We're actually better than we ever have been as far as that goes. We've had some really good success in getting those in. So we uh, carry gold tip arrows for the most part um, and all different ones that they carry. And broadheads, we, we're awesome, stocked up fully on broadheads. we got muzzies, G5s, and Ramcats, um, anywhere from 100 grain up to 175. Well, you know, and there's another thing where practice comes in. You and I have talked about this in the past, that too many people just take practice arrows and go to a static range and shoot from a standing position. Eventually, you have to practice with what you're going to hunt with, don't you? Absolutely. Practice makes perfect. So when you're out in the field... You want to be shooting the same thing that you should practice with. You're not always going to be shooting, you know, field tips uh, unless you're practicing. So focusing on with your broadheads, practicing with your broadheads because they fly differently through the air um, and from different positions, whether you're kneeling, sitting, uh, shooting through open windows, things to get you ready for that real-life application. You're right. And, you know, there's a lot of, I know you're a big believer in shooting from all those positions. And I also believe in shooting from odd distances. Don't just shoot at 40 yards, shoot at 45, shoot at 35, shoot at 20, shoot at 53. Uh, get used to because it changes a little bit. And you just really need to practice. I'm also a big believer in 3D practice because it shows you not only where you hit the target, but how that arrow would have entered the animal. I think that's a big deal. Absolutely. 3D practicing is crucial. Um, and it's one of those things, like you said, you really want to be able to focus on your shot placement and where that arrow is going to be going and how it's going to be flying through the air. So when that critical time comes, you have full confidence in your gear and your abilities. Let's talk a little bit about what you have at Jack's as far as bows. We talked about the arrows and the broadheads. But first of all, you have a full service pro shop, but what brands of bows do you carry? Primarily, we carry Matthews. Um, what we're seeing more of not is Mission by Matthews. So it's a, it's a sub-brand from Matthews called Mission, and they're incredible bows. They make them for youth and beginners all the way up to very experienced archery hunters. Um, we also carry some different traditional bows. Um, and so we have the Regime and the Fleetwood with recurves. If you're a little bit more comfortable with a little bit lighter poundages, especially if you're just getting started at close ranges, awesome opportunities. Now, if I come in and I want to get a bow for myself, one of my grandkids, my wife, what do you need to know? How do you take me through it? What are the questions? And then how much do I have to spend? What kind of price range? Absolutely. So 
originally getting a bow when you come in, we're going to need to know your draw length. And our full-service bow techs are very experienced. We can figure out your draw length down to a half an inch to get it, make sure it's as perfect as possible for you. We also need to know how much your comfortable pulling weight is. Um, you know, with the compound, you have some let off, so you have a little bit more room there. If you're a traditional archery shooter, we got to kind of know, okay, maybe you max out about 35 pounds. we got the perfect setup for you. Um, with that being said, all said and done, with the bows that we carry, for a full setup, you're looking anywhere from about $400 to $600 on a compound bow and about three dollars to $400 on a traditional bow. And that's with your arrows fully tuned up and a little bit of range time. That's right. You have a range right at your pro shop, don't you? We do. We have a 20-yard range for four to six people. Uh, we also have 3D targets, and it's one of the most crucial things you can do is practice at close ranges because oftentimes you see these guys who are shooting out 40, 50, 60 yards, and they don't practice at the 15 to 20-yard range. And all of a sudden, you know, you have an animal coming in pretty close, and it's, you see them shoot over their back because they haven't practiced at 10, 15, 20 yards. And I think it's so much easier to get initially comfortable and zeroed in at short range. I do the same thing Karen and I do when we do our firearms practice. We shoot closer till we really feel comfortable with the sight picture, and then we move it out. Shooting a bow is very similar. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one great thing about Jax is our bow team here is very experienced, and we can kind of give you pointers and tips along the whole way, especially if you're a beginner, to get you the core fundamentals of, of shooting a bow and all the proper uh, techniques. So what if I already have a bow, but I, I'm not sure it's tuned up. I, I'm not even sure it fits me, right? Can I come into your pro shop? What can you do for me? Absolutely, yeah. Bring it on in. We're going to check your draw length, your weight, and we're going to check the string, see how the string's looking on it, see how your cams are looking, your sight. And we'll do a full tune-up on it to make sure that it's 100% ready for season. There won't be any malfunctions of any kind. Um, and then we'll kind of run you through just some rough um, etiquette on, on, you know, how to pull bows back properly, how to stay in the sight frame properly, release, follow through, all the above. All right. And which stores, again, have a pro shop for bow for, bow for archery? Absolutely. So at our Jack's locations, we have one in Lafayette, Colorado. We also have one in Fort Collins, Colorado, right off in college. And, and what about, does the Cheyenne store have one? They do not yet. That is something that we are working okay. on. But you have the two, and they're pretty well located in the front range, so people people can get to it. And is there is there a tech in there is the whole time the store is open? Yep, there is. We always have a tech in that can help you out with whatever needs you need. Um, and it ultimately, it's just a great spot to stop in. And even if you have questions on archery, on where to go, what to do, what to look for, we're more than welcome to help you out there. All right. Well, Logan, Holden, thank you so much for uh, joining us today, and hopefully people will stop by. I think the fact that you have broadheads, I know your people in purchasing told me they really stocked up anticipating a shortage. I think that's going to serve the archery community very well, and thank you guys for doing. looking forward and doing that. Absolutely, Terry. Thank you. All right. That's Holden Shipman from Jax Outdoors in Fort Collins. Stop by and check out the, bro, the uh, Archery Pro Shops. Jax just has all your outdoor needs. We'll take a time out. When we come, out, come back, Chad LaChance is going to join us, and we're going to talk about a technique that not everybody uh, understands or even fishes that often, and that's drop shotting right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jax Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Little Bob Steger to get us rocking this morning, Kyle. 
Yeah, Bob's always good. Get your toe tapping. There's nothing subtle about his music. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones and joining us as he does every other week at this time from the Fishful Thinker is Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you this morning? Doing well. I don't know if you heard me close out the last segment, but you're going to talk about a technique that I think almost everybody's heard of, but I don't know that very many fishermen actually understand it properly or even fish it. What do you think? Oh, I kind of agree, and and I'll be honest with you, Terry. I was really hard-headed about it um, in the early days when it first started coming into popularity, and the reason being is I, I looked at it as a small fish technique, but over the last decade of, of kind of having to shove down my throat early days, I learned that drop shotting, which is what we're going to talk about, is probably one of the most consistent techniques for catching fish, and, and also people think it's just for bass, but we'll touch on the fact that, no, it's actually a very much a multi-species thing as well, but uh, in the early days of drop shotting, I was like, geez, it's not really for me, it's not for me, and then what I really realized with the consistency of it and the, and the depth control you have, uh, it's really a technique that probably everybody should have, and then as a fishing guide, it's one that I gravitate to a ton with clients because it's very easy for me to teach somebody. It's very easy to to do once you figure out a few of the nuances, and that's why I think drop shotting is so important. Well, take us through. If I'm a I'm a client on your boat, I've never done a drop shot before. Kind of take me through the gear and then how I'm going to present it. All right. So for me, the drop shot starts with a medium light powered rod. So it's typically going to be a six and a half to seven foot medium light powered rod. You don't want anything real heavy because the, the technique is definitely a finesse thing. So for the typical drop shot, it's going to be a medium light. I'm going to have somewhere around 10 pound braided line. Could be as light as, you know, six or eight. Could be as high as 15. That's one of the beauties of drop shot. Uh, and then I'm going to have that tied off to a leader, and that leader is going to be fluorocarbon. And it's going to be somewhere typically either six or eight pound for me. Might even go up from there uh, for some specialized situations, which we have time we'll talk about. But by standard, what I'd really like people to understand is it needs to be around 10 pound braid, around eight pound fluorocarbon. I use trying 100% fluorocarbon on that. I uni knotted together. And I make my leader about four feet long. And then uh, you use a small hook, a little drop shot specific hook, but you honestly can use almost any hook you have. Uh, but I like a little small nose hook somewhere in the, in the number one or one aught range. And you tie that with a Palomar knot in the middle of that leader. And Palomar knot is something you really kind of need to use for this application. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, you can look that up on YouTube. It's not a very difficult knot at all. But you Palomar knot it, and then you leave the tag end very long, anywhere between, say, six inches and two feet long. And then at the bottom of that tag end of line, I'll tie an overhand knot, just a little square knot at the very bottom of it. And that will keep your sinkers from sliding off. And the key, the definition of drop shotting is basically having the weight below the hook rather than the other way around. So that when I set the weight on the bottom, the hook is held a fixed depth up off the bottom. And so if I, whatever length my dropper is on the bottom of the hook is how obviously how high my bait will be uh, off the bottom. So I can set the sinker down to where I can just barely feel it sitting on the bottom of the lake. And then I, you know, hold just enough tension on the line that the, that the bait is nose hooked and it's up maybe, like I said, six inches to two feet off the bottom. <clears throat> There's 
specialized drop shot weights that clip on, which are really easy to use, but don't get hung up on that if you don't have them. You can use split shot, and in fact, I commonly use split shot because then I can change weights really quickly, and I'll put two or three split shot on the bottom of the line, and that'll work just fine, or a little bell sinker, but I'm typically going to be somewhere between about an eighth of an ounce and a quarter of an ounce in total weight. You want enough weight that you can feel it sitting on the bottom or not sitting on the bottom, as the case might be, and uh, but no really more than that. So and then it's most typically a somewhat vertical technique or at least at angles, but not a long cast type technique unless you're on a very smooth bottom. But the key to it, Terry, is the bait will stay in one spot and not move at all and give you perfect depth control. And right now when there's a lot of fish that are offshore, I'm sure the guys at Chatfield are running into a Pueblo. I know for sure here at Horsetooth a lot of fish are offshore. That drop shot bait gives you really good control. So you can find the fish on the graph, drop the bait on them, and get them done. <clears throat> and then as far as the baits go, typically it's going to be a three-inch type minnow, uh, two-and-a-half to four-inch bait. Could be a, a gulp minnow, could be a, a maxent minnow of some sort, could be a little maxent general, uh, a little flatworm. It could be any one of a whole bunch of different things, but typically it's a little straight-tailed minnow. For me, it's a lot of the time it's going to be either a gulp minnow or a flat-nosed minnow, and that'll catch everybody that swims. In the last week, we've caught trout, walleyes, and bass on this technique. So it's not just a bass technique. No, I absolutely couldn't agree with you more. It's it's actually a, a technique that I don't use enough. I have a couple of questions I want to ask you because these have come up when drop shotting. Some people I've heard like to use 100% fluorocarbon for the entire line, feeling like they don't have to cast, and the weight of that fluorocarbon keeps the bow out of the line. How do you feel about that versus the braid? I want the sensitivity of the braid. So for me, um, the thin braid just gives me very good sensitivity. Also, it fights wind better being vertical. If there's any current or wind current, the braid's much thinner. So if the boat's drifting or anything like that, it doesn't have as much resistance in the water. So for me, it's a it's a thin braid situation. And then just a fluorocarbon leader for visibility and abrasion resistance at the bottom. Okay. Another thing that one of the improvements, I think, in our other gear on our boat that has really upped the effectiveness of drop shotting, and that's uh, the introduction of spot lock on our trolling motors. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the other side of drop shotting is, for one, you have perfect depth control, but if you have perfect boat control to go with it, now you're doing really good. And by spot lock in the motor, what we're typically doing right now for bass or walleyes is is finding fish on the graph and sitting trying to sit either right over them or just off to the side of them. Right now, I'm finding fish here at Horse Tooth are a little bit a little bit gun shy if the boat's sitting right on top of them, even when they're 20 feet down. So I'm keeping the boat maybe a quarter of a cast or a half a cast length off to the side of whatever structure is I'm fishing, and then pitching the drop shot up on there and uh, and holding the weight you know holding the weight tight. And the key also is. Real, real subtle. The more I try to do it as far as action, the less fish I catch. Typically, it's going to be no more than a slight jiggle of the rod tip. Uh, it is not something where I'm going to jig this thing up and down. It's typically going to be as stable as possible. It's kind of like we joke, Terry, the bowl of potato chips. If I leave a bowl of potato chips in front of you long enough, you'll eat one, whether you're hungry or not. And that's kind of how smallmouth and walleyes get it, for sure, the stalker trout. Uh, stalker trout love a drop shot. And I'm not an ice fisherman, as you know, but it's a fantastic way to catch them through the ice. The only times I have done much ice fishing, the drop shot was in play. Now, uh, you've probably covered it already, and it, the answer is probably going to be overworking the bait. But what are two or three of the mo mo biggest mistakes 
most people do when they're trying to drop shot in the beginning? Uh, absolutely. Overworking the bait is number one. But I, I hand it to customers. They want to keep picking it up off the bottom and and whatever. The, the more stable the bait is, the better off you are. Uh, and so that's a really important one. The other one is you to when you you think you have a bite, you're going to feel a lot of them because the hook is above the sinker, so there's nothing to dampen it. So a lot of your bites, though, are going to be like a pressure bite. And so what I do is I just barely pick up on the rod tip, gently just pick up on the rod tip enough to feel for weight on there. And if there's weight, then you can just lift into them. You don't need a big hook set. Uh, so don't overwork the bait and don't get uh, crazy with your hook set. Just lift into your fish, and you're going you're to find that almost all of them are hooked right in the top of the lip. It's very rare that you don't catch fish on the top of the snout with a drop shot. And if you're not catching them in the top of the snout, you're probably late on your hook sets. So when I get guys that are getting them deep in the, in the gullet, they're, they're not feeling the bite quick enough. And, uh, and if you're using Maxon or Gulp or something like that, they're going to hold on to it. So as long as you don't shake it real hard, they're going to hold it. You can just pick up on them, feel the weight, and set the hook. It's very, very simple. And I'll be quick about it, but there's a, another thing that people call bubba shotting, and it's basically like big boy drop shotting. It's a big sinker, big line. It's the same rig, but the bait is Texas rigged on the hook, so the, the hook point is not exposed. And then it can be fished in shallow cover for, for largemouth, and that's a really good technique as well. It has worked really well for me at Boyd Lake around fish that are getting a ton of pressure. The drop shot gives you such good control so I might put something big on there, like a, a straight-up six-inch power worm or something big, and then have the sinker be maybe anywhere from three to eight inches below the below the bait. And then I've got a really big bait and, and big line, big rod, and I can throw it around heavy cover because the hook point is covered. I think I want to go back to the mistake thing again. And people, if they could see a video of how much, when you think you're not moving that bait, if you could see a video of how much that bait is moving just from the boat rocking, from your hand can't hold it steady to a little bit of current, it's it's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't care how still you try to hold it. We've done this even in the demo tank, Terry. You and I have played with it. You put that thing on the bottom, you can hold it as still as you want, but that little bait's going to swing around. Uh, it's, it's nose hook typically, so if I'm going to use a gold minnow, it's just a hook is just stuck to the tip of the nose and the bait is free to move on its own that's more than enough and here's the part people don't realize when a fish comes up and looks at it their own finning motion is going to make that thing move because they're moving water as well and so yeah it's you you definitely don't want to overwork the bait i get guys i literally hand it to them i show them how to do it put it on the bottom say okay just pick up you can barely feel the weight so you know you're right there and then uh, and then don't do anything. When it pulls, you pull back because the more you do, uh, the less fish you're going to catch. And it really just becomes a, a you know, a, it's all it's all about control. It's also very it's not fatiguing. Anybody can do it all day long. Uh, you know, a kid can do it because you don't need a big giant hook set. You don't have to have perfect timing. But when everything's going right, the drop shot is is really the money maker. And, and right now. In my fishing, it's probably getting 60%, 70% of my fishing around around my smallmouth stuff right now. All right, 30 seconds. If you're going fishing, we've got some great weather coming. Looks like we're going to get drier, less storms. One or two places that you'd hit in the next few days. Well, man, I'm telling you what, with the numbers game that's going on right now, I am for sure going to go uh, smallmouth bass fishing somewhere. It's my first love, as you know. A lot of the rivers are warm. So I'm probably going to go either to Pueblo or Horsetooth. I'm going to fish early and late. I'm going to fish 
stuff that's adjacent to or right in the main lake, summertime type stuff, and I'm going to look for numbers of fish. Maybe is isn't the best time to catch a five-pounder, but it's a great time to catch a whole bunch of two-pounders when that peak feeding thing going on, and you should catch numbers of fish. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again soon. You and I probably should get out and fish together. Yes, sir. I'm going to ICAST this next week, but I'll be back after that, and uh, and I'd love to do it. All right. Have a good trip. We'll talk to you when you get back. All right. Thanks, Terry. All right. Oh, Chad Lachance, Fishful Thinker, fishfulthinker.com. Book a trip. You can find them. Just Google Fishful Thinker. There's all the information. They they guide up in the lakes up here, and, of course, he has a television show. He's on this radio show, so... You know, just go ahead and follow them there. We're going to take a time out. We come back. I got a couple things I want to talk to you about the water situation east and west. And then if he's in the studio, I may have a question for Mr. Dan Jacobs after that. All that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I know we're back. I'm listening to Dire Straits. Hey, you quit playing it. That's better, Kyle. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to wrap things up here. A couple things I really want to make a point. One is the difference in the water from the west side of the Continental Divide to the east side. We've been fortunate on the east side of the Continental Divide. Our rivers are flowing pretty good. In fact, we did a great report on the pooter today, which has been fishing fantastic. The the small lakes and the other lakes up in the canyon are going to, more and more of those are going to open up in the next week or two. Our reservoirs, our warm water fisheries are pretty full, so we're in pretty good shape for a while here. That's not the case on the western side. Rifle Gap and Harvey Gap are probably going to be closed to boating in just a couple weeks, but you could get out there in kayaks, and the fishing is phenomenal. And the rivers on the west side, there's been a lot of both voluntary and mandatory closures, so really pay attention. Follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We're going to have a lot of people on talking about those conditions continually. I will post links to the podcast to keep you up to date. I'm going to be out on the water. I'll try to keep you updated on the conditions, both on this side and the other side of the Continental Divide, and help you plan your fishing trips. So if you follow us on Facebook, you're going to get that information to help you plan the trip, and it keeps you in touch with this show as to what we're going to cover, what's coming up, and what we have just covered. Another thing I'm going to do is I'm going to be talking to people, manufacturers and retailers, about the ammunition supply and where you might be able to get ammo for your upcoming hunting. So following us on Facebook will help with that. Just like today, we found out that the Jack stores have a tremendous amount of broadheads. They they were very foresighted and backordered a ton of broadheads, so they're in great shape going into the archery season. For A lot of stores aren't, so we'll try to get that kind of information. So Terry Wickstrom at Facebook Outdoor, Terry, on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and follow us, and we'll keep you informed. Now, is Mr. Dan Jacobs in the studio? Yeah, you know, I heard you saying you're going to be out on the lot, uh, water a lot. This is the actual sound the fish make every time they see you coming. Because they know they're safe today. They're like, woo, Terry. <laughs> you know, we, get, we live another day. I'm going to forgive you because I know you've been working nights filling in for Sean a lot. And, yeah, I'm tired. And, and, and you're probably not too coherent or alert, so I'm going <laughs> to let that go this time. How are you, sir? 
I am great. Hey, I do have uh, a Broncos question, though. I want to run by you that, and this has been nagging me this whole off season. The it's a two part question: Is it, will Fangio save his job? And either way, does trying to save it really hurt what's best for the future of the Broncos? Uh-huh. He will. One, not save his job, and 100%, uh, I think I know where you're going with that because you're asking a question where you know the answer. It's, uh, you're, it's very lawyerly of you, Terry. 100% no. I think that's the big flaw. That's the big problem I've had with George Payton is he's basically throwing away a year and said, I'm going to give Vic Fangio everything he needs. We're going to continue the same losing path that John always been on and continue this failed experiment with Vic Fangio so we can say we did everything we could to set him up for success when we fire him. And what it's doing is it's wasting a year, and they're going to miss the playoffs again. And so if I'm a new owner, Terry, if you're a new owner, let's say your new fish guiding software hits or whatever you come up with, and you you get $8 billion and you buy the Denver Broncos, are you going to be satisfied with that when you evaluate George Payton? Are you going to say, I know you wasted a year, uh, or Terry, I wasted a year, but uh, can you give me another chance? Or, or is that going to be good enough for you? Well, I think there's some things that went on behind the scenes that don't get talked about enough. Like what? Because when they, when they announced George Payton, they didn't announce Fangio's reporting to him. They announced them as lateral, as equals. And so I think he was handcuffed a little bit in his agreement. They made some statements that alluded to that, and I think, that the, the Joe Ellis and John Elway kind of took that out of his hands a little bit. Well, he so in did, order well, to well t- he did. He did. They, they, he had to keep him as coach, but he didn't have to, you know, uh, keep you know, keep saying he could have still rebuilt the roster and said we're going to kind of you know rebuild this thing. Instead, he said well, no. I'm gonna, gonna, yeah, I'm going to like continue being mediocre instead of getting you know rebuilding <laughs> it. And that's that's my issue, Terry. That's all. Well, other than quarterback, the roster isn't in that bad a shape. There's some young guys that are developing. They have shored up a couple key areas like their cornerback situation. I think that if Miller and Chubb can come back, and I think this is a tell-all year for that, whether we have the pass rush or not, and you may have to go rebuild that if they're not next year. So I think there was some questions that had to be answered, and they did more. I think they did a little more than you give them credit for. But the quarterback obviously is the question. No one right now feels either one of these guys is going to take you to the Super Bowl. But we've seen that happen in other teams too, where we didn't think they are. And I'm not so sure that they had a chance to draft the kid out of Ohio State, Justin Fields. I'm not so sure he's going to be the answer either. So. Just making a move to make a move wouldn't have been necessarily the right thing either. Well, I agree with you 100% there, and I give George Payton credit for that. But here's the key question, Terry. What is the, uh, what's on the menu tonight at the old Wickstrom household, and what are you going to pair with it? I don't know, Karen. Are we going to do lamb tonight, or are we doing a steak? We're doing lamb tonight. I like to blacken lamb. And what I do is I actually buy a, a French lamb roast, but I cut it into little lollipops. And then I, I, I put blackening spice on both sides of that and then sear it really hot and serve that with a petite Syrah wine. It's just fantastic. Oh, you're living the good life up there in the uh, Fort Collins area. All right, my friend, I'll let you go. We'll close this out so you can get started. All right, thanks, Terry. You bet. It's going to end this episode of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Um, follow us every Saturday from 9 to 11. Thanks to Kyle for keeping the board operating. Go ahead, Karen, for 
producing the show and keeping me on the air. And thank all of you for listening. We will let follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports with Dan Jacobs. <laughs> 